It's the next level. Inside Expose in Three Pines, Utah, to investigate what may be a werewolf attack. Doug Curlew and his brother Judd were exploring some caves above these woods when Judd was attacked and fatally mauled. Rangers here are calling it a bear attack, but Doug has a different explanation. Yeah, when he had changed. Yeah, it was right before my eyes. It, it was a man, and then it was this thing. See, with teeth and claws. Like one of those cave paintings I showed you come to life. No, I wasn't drunk. You people call me a liar? My brother's dead, man. That ain't no lie. When asked to describe his attacker, Doug gave us this drawing, which he says is a copy of the painting found on the cave wall. This, he claims, is what killed Judd Curlew. I.E. went looking for this cave to verify Doug's story, and we found it. But an archaeological expedition investigating the cave was suspiciously uncooperative when we asked to shoot inside. Next up, more Elvis sightings. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. Tokusatsu is a Japanese term for a live-action film or television drama that makes heavy use of special effects. The visual medium known as tokusatsu often deals with science fiction, fantasy, or horror, but films and television shows and other genres can sometimes count in the art form as well. The most popular types include the kaiju monster films, such as Godzilla, Mothra, Gamera film series, superhero television shows such as the Kamen Rider and Metal Hero series, and mecha dramas like Giant Robo and Super Robot Red Baron. Some tokusatsu television programs combine several of these subgenres, for example like Ultraman and the Super Sentai series. However, from the kaiju depths of Studio Zero and the Next Level Network of Podcasts, it is my distinct unpleasure to welcome you back to the nightmare known as What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Now come hither round, little Jaegers and Jaegerettes, as Uncle Postmortem greets you and delights you with this week's episodic adventure. Its title is Episode 85. And its feature of the week is a follow-up to the previous 84, episode 84. 
Sadly, though, no Mark Hamill this week or Michael Berryman, but we still have that wonderful superhero known as Guyver, played by a new actor with a far more serious tone. This week's review takes on Guyver 2, Dark Hero, from 1994. But first... First thing that you guys don't know... (laughs) So that little intro that I was reading about Tokusatsu... Yeah, that took about 25 takes. I shit you not. Do you think my mouth could actually say the word tokusatsu without fucking it up? (laughs) Let alone superhero television shows. Could not say those three words consecutively for the life of me. I think I threw my microphone across the room at least three times. So yeah, but anyways, aside from that... It's happy three-year anniversary to the show. Yay! Woohoo! Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it came up in, like, what? Facebook memories. Good old social media. Uh, yeah, February 7th, 2018. Episode 1 of this show dropped. It was the first episode. It was the one where me and my sister basically geeked out for, I think it was like an hour, about Gremlins. I don't even think we actually reviewed the movie. <laughs> I think we just geeked out about what it was like growing up as Gremlins fans. It's kind of interesting, actually, when I think about, you know, three years now doing this show, and some things have changed, some things haven't. I apologize to all my listeners. I know, even I've noticed. <laughs> Over the past, I'd say maybe six months to a year I've gained a lisp somewhere in there and it even annoys me sometimes that's why I end up redoing my intros over and over because I'll notice that I lisp way too much and it irks the fuck out of me so yeah unfortunately that's sort of like a negative that's happened I apologize and maybe some of you never noticed it but it's something that I notice I know we're always our own worst critic right but Three years, though, man. Three years doing this show. And, I mean, I have, like I said, I have some plans for this year for the show. So, we'll see what uh, what happens in, you know, going up to year four. I wonder if we'll make the five-year mark. Yeah, we probably will. But, yeah, anyway, so happy three years to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. It's three years where I haven't learned how to shut up yet. And, like, I mean, if you followed my other show, the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, I mean, keep in mind, I've been doing this for almost four and a half years now. It's a long time because I started, what, in 2016? July of 2016 is when I started doing this. Well, like, talking into a microphone and annoying people. Yee! Um, okay, so let's see what to talk about. What to open up the show with? Oh, I don't know. Um, so, yeah. There's a new movie that just uh, released online, uh, digitally anyways. Uh, I know the Blu-ray release is coming, I think, in March. If I remember reading that right. Anyways, it's another Spectre Vision film. For those of you who don't know, Spectre Vision is Elijah Wood's production company. And I gotta say, like, Elijah Wood is, like... <laughs> I don't know, he's, like, a little... Uh, I mean, he's a great actor, right? But he's very rapidly becoming a little bit of a legend when it comes to releasing movies. I mean, 
So the new one that he just released uh, through his production company is Arch Enemy, which is kind of a follow-up to Daniel Isn't Real. Sort of, in a way. It's kind of like they're doing like this thing. I, I believe they called it the Vortex Trilogy. Uh, Daniel Isn't Real was the first film. Arch Enemy is the second film. And then there's apparently a third film, which is going to bring the whole thing together. So characters from Daniel Isn't Real and Arch Enemy should end up in this third film. Uh, at least the way it's described. But you gotta figure, like, Spectre Vision, since they've been around, what have they released? Uh, like, movies like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, The Greasy Strangler, Mandy, Daniel Isn't Real, The Color Out of Space. Now you can add Arch Enemy to that list. Quickly, The Arch Enemy, or, well, Arch Enemy, not The Arch Enemy. But, um, the movie, I, I'll basically sum it up for you really, 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 really quick. Well shot, quick paced, interesting story. <laughs> a lot better than Brightburn. Um, in terms of a superhero movie trying not to be a superhero movie. Intriguing characters, great use of color. And that is one thing about these movies. Like, Especially you look at movies like Mandy, Color Out of Space, and like Arch Enemy. Even Daniel Isn't Real. Like, They really have a great grasp of color. Which is interesting because A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night was a black and white film. But uh, yeah, in keeping with Arch Enemy, the music score is awesome. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can stream it online through Spotify. Uh, the score was done by Umberto. Uh, and the cast. I mean, the cast, you got Joe Manganiello, uh, Skylin Brooks, Zoli Griggs, Paul Shear, Glenn Howerton, and Amy Seamitz. And all of them are awesome in this movie, especially Joe Mangalano. Mangal... Bang and... Wow! I can't say his name. Manganello. <laughs> he plays the character of Max Fist, and he plays it perfectly. So I can say that nice, right? Like, perfectly. It, like, float off my tongue. But try saying Joe Manganello. Yeah. All right, but I'm going to... That's about it, really. I'm not going to talk too much about um, movies and stuff like that. Well, I will say this. So... Interestingly enough, this is kind of a, a, it's a bit of a funny side note, but anyways, um, I'm a huge, it's kind of, I'm a weird kind of person. It's like, I'm totally the nineties kid that should have been, you know, a teenager in the sixties. Cause I've kind of got like that, like hippie thing going with me, but not because I've also got like the total like rivet head thing going on and whatnot. Anyways, I've always had Woodstock 69, the the four-hour documentary, the director's cut. I've always had it on VHS, and I had a digital version of it. I ended up finding it on Amazon, the Blu-ray. Pretty cheap, too, so I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I I, I want that. I I had just gotten Jimi Hendrix's Woodstock documentary and performance on Blu-ray. I was like, might as well go and get the Woodstock 69 documentary as well. So I, I ordered the the single disc version. Well, it showed up in the mail today. <laughs> Lo and behold, to my surprise, um, it was a bit of a fuck up apparently because they sent me the three disc version that's got like nine hours of extras. Fucking score. <laughs> it's like, wow, what the hell? Um, and I paid the price of the single disc version. So that was kind of cool. And then... So, I mean, I mail day, right? I figured there's no more mail. 
And then later on tonight, my sister's about to leave the house. And she's like, oh, you got mail. I'm like, I already picked up the mail today. Well, apparently, mailman must have come back and brought another... Um, well, it's not Blu-ray. It's DVD. But it's uh, the UK version of the Series V from the 1980s, which it basically comes with the first miniseries, the second miniseries, which was the final battle, and the full series that followed after that. It's like a full box set. It's awesome. Yeah, so I have that to watch um, because uh, my day job, I am on a 10-day vacation from, so I have lots of time to kill. So there's that. And Okay, so I'm going to go serious for a moment here and... Is because this is kind of important to me, and this isn't post-mortem Paul talking. This is just Paul talking, because something I've made known on this show throughout the past three years, um, obviously music plays a big part in my life. And I do know that at some points in this show, I have commented about the fact that I was a Marilyn Manson fan. And yes, so last week, lo and behold, social media strikes again. Quickly, my thoughts on the whole Marilyn Manson, Evan Rachel Wood scenario. I start off by saying I have nothing really. Okay, I don't know the parties involved. I don't know them personally. I've never met them, never walked a day in their shoes. I don't know anything. I don't think much of anything because none of it is my business really. What I do know is that I am not a fan of social media being the new judge, jury, and executioner. And we saw a lot of that. And I mean, we've been seeing this. This isn't something that's new. I mean, this has been going on for a couple of years now where it's like somebody says something on social media and automatically that's the final verdict. Let me put it to you this way. Do I agree with violence against like, do I do I agree that the violence against women needs to stop? Absolutely, I do. I believe violence towards anyone, for that matter, needs to stop. I don't care what sex you are, creed, religion, color of skin, status. I don't give a fuck what. Stop the violence. But here's an interesting thing, because I'm saying this on this show, and do I have fun on this show and highlighting violence and gore and blood and? Death? Absolutely. In a way, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely do. But in a way, no. I choose to have fun with this genre because that's kind of the point of horror films. Horror films, though, are not meant to be taken seriously. I love to also highlight the fact of the fun that's put into making these movies. You know, the craftsmanship behind the special effects, the gore, and the kills. I don't... I, I, Oh, yeah, and I mean, I've said, you guys have heard it on this show. I, I might joke and say shit like, kill the bitch, you know, or, you know, kill that motherfucker and stuff. But, I mean, Chet, I was watching the movie Psycho Goreman just, a, what, a week and a half ago or whatever. And I'm not going to go into long details about it, but the little girl in that movie, oh, she's great. She's annoying as fuck. And the whole movie, I'm like, someone fucking kill her. But I don't, mean, I don't mean that in real life. I'm not saying kill the actress. I'm saying kill the character. I approach the genre and the mannerisms in the genre in a satirical, humorous, and playful way. 
But when it comes to real life, no, I am not a fan of violence. Anyone that knows me knows I'm totally anti-gun, anti-war, anti-violence, and I always will be. As for my thoughts on Brian Warner, a.k.a. Marilyn Manson, I, I, I don't know him personally. And my opinion of him or his music or private life or whatever really honestly at the end of the day has no bearing whatsoever. Um, what I can do as a fan or maybe people, you know, not his fan, whatever, I can assess with my own nature to not act in the ways he's being accused of. I will not demand he be canceled, even though he pretty much lost his record label, his agency, uh, his episodes of American Gods and Creepshow have both been pulled. Um... And it seems like all these people are coming out of the woodwork, speaking ill of him. Hey, I'll be honest with you. If he did it, he did it. And I'm I'm not saying that I approve of it. There's absolutely no way that I do. But let's deal with this properly and not through social media. And it's unfortunate. It really is. It's It's an unfortunate situation. It's unfortunate for Evan Rachel Wood as well, and for the women involved who came out and spoke. I'm not. I, I don't want to take away from that either. I mean, if they went through this, I mean that's horrible, and I absolutely get it. But social media should not have been the outlet in which was used, because unfortunately we are seeing this way, way too much, and this shit needs to stop. It honestly does. I mean, we've seen it, what, with COVID-19, the mask versus the anti-mask, vaccine approvers versus anti-vaxxers, left versus right, et cetera, et cetera. You get what I'm saying. There's a whole lot of talking from those who should not be speaking on either side of these arguments. And that's what unfortunately has been happening with this situation. And I mean, it's unfair to assume anything at this point. I'm not saying, you know, that I can stop anyone from having their thoughts. I mean, absolutely, you're going to have your thoughts. That's the point of the human brain is to think. I'm not stupid. I know a lot of people think I am, but I'm not. But, I mean, to condemn someone, anyone, you know, simply because something was on social media and you read it and you decide, oops, hey, that's what I'm going to believe. Well, you know what, that's kind of naivete as well. If he's guilty, then by all means, I hope he is he is made to face his music. Absolutely. 100 fucking percent. I do not take away from that whatsoever. But social media should not be the place to exact verdicts and sentences. And it's a sad world we live in that that's basically what has become all too acceptable. That's all I'm going to say on that. I don't approve. I don't disapprove. I don't know these people. I am not going to make that kind of a judgment. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is another situation. We've seen it. We've we've heard arguments on both sides. We've seen quote-unquote evidence of both sides. I don't know what's true and what's not. What scares me about something like this, though, is the fact that somebody could go on social media and say something about me. Or say something about you. 
And the next thing you know, our lives are ruined because of judge, jury, and executioner mentality coming from social media. That's the part I'm focusing on. I know. It seems like I have, since this show has started three years ago, I have shit on social media left, right, and center. But that came up, and I, I haven't, I hadn't made a public, a public point about it yet, because I really wanted to think out what I was going to say. And I think I've said everything that I need to say. So without further ado, let's move on to the more fun part of this show. The trailer timeout, followed by the review. The review that is the sequel to last episode's review. It's kind of interesting how I did that. <laughs> episodes 84 and 85. It's like we went with the first movie, now we're going with the sequel. But yes, trailer timeout, which is a VHS trailer, by the way. It's kind of a cool promo. So it's going to highlight both the original film and this one, but it's it's a pretty cool promo nonetheless. Thought I would throw that in there. And then when we uh, come back, the shared podcast experience will be the review for Guyver 2 Dark Hero. Back in the splat, kids. It's been a year since I first became the Guyver unit and destroyed the Kronos Corporation and their shape-changing killers, the Zoonoids. But the Guyver stays in calling me to fight to kill more powerful than any alien it's calling you more unstoppable than any robocop hero than any Power Ranger. From director Steve Wang of the mighty Morgan Power Rangers, whose special effects credits include Predator and Beetlejuice, comes the Guyver 2 Dark Hero. And don't forget, the original Guyver is now available for $19.95. The Guyver's return on investment is 89%, which is twice the average sci-fi rental return. The Guyver 2 Dark Hero promises a 90-day pay-per-view window and delivers more monsters, more non-stop martial arts action, and more incredible morphing special effects. The Guyver 2 Dark Hero. I know my job. Let her go. Only from New Line Home Video. For those of you who tuned into episode 84 when we talked about the first Guyver film. Wasn't it nice to have a trailer that was actually speaking in English this time? I'm not going to lie. I had fun with that the last episode, though. Pulling that one out. But anyways, whatever. Guyver 2, or Guyver Dark Hero. It's kind of interesting because some... I've seen it called both. I've seen it also called Guyver 2 Dark Hero. Um, I don't know. For me, it's Guyver Dark Hero, but was first released April 20th, 1994 in Japan. North America got it six months later, October 19th, but it was straight to video release. They didn't even release this one in the theaters. 
movie was written, produced, and directed by Steve Wang. Talked about him last episode, so some of these credits, by the way, that I'm going to go through, I'm kind of speeding through because it's just a continuation from the last episode, which if you're listening to this one, you should have listened to the last episode as well. So yeah, written, produced, and directed by Steve Wang. However, in the writing department, he had some help from Nathan Long, who penned the screenplay. And this was his first screenplay. He was also credited in the movie as cop number one. Gotta love that. Uh, Based on characters created by Yoshiki Takaya. Uh, Cinematography done by Michael Wojowski. I know. And when I when I wrote that down, I was like, I hope I pronounced that right because I'm thinking, you know, um, what's oh, what's that Pixar movie there? Monsters Incorporated, Mike Wachowski. So I was like, I gotta be able to say this because I always make fun of that movie. Well, not make fun of it, but like make fun of the name and whatnot because it's Mike Wachowski. Um, <laughs> he also worked on movies like Drive, Candyman, Day of the Dead, and he worked recently on the series Marvel's Runaways. Uh, the music for this movie, which you hear a little bit of the theme playing in the back, was done by Les Claypool III. No, he is not Les Claypool from the band Primus. Um, this is a different Les Claypool. Uh, this was also his only um, work in terms of composing a musical score. However, he has worked in the sound department for many anime and video games, uh, such as Ninja Scroll, Armitage 3, Perfect Blue, Devil May Cry 3, Resident Evil Degeneration, and Castlevania Judgment, to name a few. I could swear he's also worked on a Ghost in the Shell project, yet I couldn't see that credited anywhere. But I know I've seen his name in Ghost in the Shell somewhere. I will say, though, that in 1989, he did open an anime and game dubbing studio. Uh, it was a little business he had, the studio, whatnot, known as Magnitude 8 Post. Um, however, he did close the doors finally in 2015, uh, and the website is gone. However, there was a farewell statement he made online which has been shared through other industry-related websites. Um, And basically the statement ended with the quote, not bad for a movie-loving guitar player from Pacoma, I reckon. So I found that online. I thought I would share that. Uh, The costume design for this movie was done by Jennifer McManus. The creature effects and shop supervisor was Mr. Steve Wang. He overlooked a lot of this. Um... This was clearly his passion project. Um, no, he didn't have Brian Usna helping him this time around. However, there, I, I go as far as to say it might have been for the better. And I know, I can't believe I'm saying that, but more on that in a bit. Moving on to our starring cast, which honestly, really only about five characters you really have to focus on i wrote quite a few of them down but i'll, I'll highlight the ones that need to be highlighted uh starting with david Hayter as sean barker also the guyver uh he's replacing jack armstrong from the first film david Hayter did a lot of voice acting which also included him being the voice of captain america in the 90s uh the night uh, what was it 1994 I think 
94 and 96 when the Spider-Man animated series came out. He also did the voice of Captain America in X-Men Evolution. Uh, and he was the voice of King Shark in the CW Arrowverse, um, the, the, the show The Flash, which I believe there was also a Supergirl episode that he was King Shark in, but it was like part of their crossover series. Uh, when Was it the Crisis series, I think? seems to me it was the Crisis on Infinite Earth series they did there, the crossover or whatever. But yeah, so he, he he's done a lot of voice work. Moving on to Kathy Christofferson as Corey Edwards, uh, mainly a TV actor. As a matter of fact, I believe this is one of, if not her only, uh, full-length feature um, acting role. She did a lot of TV work, though. She was on shows like Doogie Howser, MD, Californication, and Dexter. And I could swear I read X-Files as well. Uh, Bruno Giannato. Giannata. Getting my A's and my O's mixed up, guys. Uh, Bruno Giannata as Arlen Crane. Uh, Basically looks like a discount version of a young Michael Ironside. I'll say about that. Uh, Christopher Michael as Commander Atkins, another TV actor, a lot of small roles. Funny thing, he usually played a cop or a security guard. In this, he's playing a cop. <laughs> um, he also had a role in the Fight Club episode of The X-Files. So he worked on The X-Files for sure. I know that. Uh, but basically every role he had, and you go through his IMDb and it's all... Cop number one, cop number two, commander, cop, military guy, security guard. It was like he was always like some role of authority. Uh, and half the time it was like a minor role. But in this, this was a major role for him. He's a big part of this movie. Stuart Weiss as Dr. Marcus Edwards. He's basically um, Corey Edwards' father. Billy Lee as Mizki Sagawa. She's replacing Vivian Wu from the first film. And um, I, I, honestly, she's in the movie, I think, for three minutes. So I can kind of understand why they didn't want to get Vivian Wu and have to pay top dollar when they can just get someone who looks a lot like her and say, here, be done with it. Because she's not in the movie long. Um, Alyssa Merline as Brandy Harris. Kristen Calkins as Lois. Jim O'Donohoe as Mr. Guo, J.D. Smith as Doug Curlew, Wes Dietrich as Gus Volker, and Stephen Oprakil? Oprakal? I I can't pronounce his last name. I apologize. He plays Bob. Basically a throwaway character, but, you know, he stands out of the characters because he basically dresses like a 90s hippie. It's kind of funny. But that's basically your cast. However, like as long as you remember Sean, Corey, Arlen Crane, Commander Atkins, and Marcus Edwards, you're pretty much good. That's all you really need to remember for this. The runtime is two hours and seven minutes long. It's rated R for violence, profanity, and frightening scenes. Um, no sex and nudity in this, which is interesting. Like, but it, when I was thinking about it, because. In the 80s, sex and nudity came pretty much with every action or horror film. 
in the nineties, they really tried to pull away from that. And I was thinking about like all the different movies. Like I still know what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer scream and urban legend and all those movies. They really tried to stray from the nudity thing. So, and this being in 1994, I was like, hmm, I guess that would kind of make sense, but it, just the way the movie felt, I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely going to have a sex scene. And it doesn't. So, who knew? Um, released on VHS, DVD, and digital through on-demand services like Google Movies. Or you can watch it in an even lower quality on YouTube for free. Um, and I say lower quality because, okay, like I have this purchase through Google Movies. Because... Honestly, if I'm going to buy it, it's got to be Blu-ray because I have the first one on blue. So it's like, okay, well, I want the second one on blue, but there's no Blu-ray yet. So I paid, I think it was like three bucks on Google Movies. I'm like, all right, I'll get it this way. And I think I had even highlighted last episode, like I wasn't even sure if I had seen the second movie. I knew I'd seen the first. When I watched this the first time, I... It's kind of interesting because there was a couple scenes where it seemed familiar, but I honestly don't think I actually watched this movie. Um, I have now, obviously. But anyways, when you buy it through Google Movies, uh, the quality is a 480p quality. It's a standard definition. It's not HD. Um, when you watch it on YouTube, it's 360p. So it's like, wow, it even went lower quality. But then again, you're watching it for free, where I paid three bucks for it to get it at 480p. Yeehaw! The synopsis for the film is as follows. Sean Barker became the unwilling host to an alien bioarmor known as the Giver. A year ago, he destroyed the Cronus Corporation, an organization of mutants who want the Giver. Now he's trying to find out why the Giver unit forces him to fight and kill evil. He is led to an archaeological site where scientists discover an ancient spacecraft. Now he must fight Cronus again before they discover the secrets of the Giver's origin. Notes from the sequel side. Yeah, because, um, okay, so... Whew, let me start off by saying, and I read this in someone's review. I didn't write it down, I should have. I think I did. Well, maybe I wrote it down. I don't think I did, though. Where this is basically like the Empire Strikes Back of tokusatsu films. Um, for the fact that this movie... Direct-to-video, let's keep that in mind, has a huge cult following. And the first film was criticized for being overly goofy and comical. So the filmmakers for this one added more elements of action and horror. And they gave it an R rating. Now, I mean, Empire Strikes Back doesn't have an R rating. But it's like... They took their mistakes from the first one and they corrected them in the second one and we got a better film. There's a lot of interesting shit to this though. Like, okay, so I told you the runtime was two hours and seven minutes seven minutes long. However, the UK version is 27 minutes shorter than that. Um, and they took out like, they took out some of the violence. They took out the nightmare sequence. Um... 
the scene where Sean breaks up with Ms. Key, they took that right out. So, I mean, like, I don't even, and that's basically the three minutes that Ms. Key is in the movie. So it's like, oh, so you took her right out of the movie. Um, which to be fair, was it really needed? I mean, yes, it joins the first movie with the second, but it wasn't actually really needed. You could have just moved on. Nobody would have, nobody would have really questioned anything. Um, and I guess they cut out a lot of the relationship between Sean and Corey, which, again, I really don't see much of that. I mean, you can tell there's a love a, a love relationship supposed to be there, but it's very slow going, which, I mean, in a way, it seems more natural. So it kind of works, but it took a lot of that out. Um... However, then it, apparently when they released the DVD, though, they did put back, there was the, the bloody shooting scene and a throat stabbing that they did reincorporate in. But I guess originally 27 minutes was pretty much most of the violence they cut out. Um, and the German version's even worse. They cut even even eight minutes more out of that movie than the UK version. Um which, by the way, the UK version can be found online as well on YouTube for free. Um, I I will admit I haven't watched it, so I don't I can't compare the two. I went straight for the longer version because I was like, well, if I'm going to review this, I mean, I need to know as much of the movie as I can, right? It's also a point to mention that Telltale Games apparently we're considering to make the Guyver franchise uh, into an episodic game, kind of like they're Walking Dead in Batman series and whatnot. So that, I wish that would have happened. That probably would have been pretty cool, I think. Um, but moving on to this movie. Now, I mean, it's already been noted. I've already, I've already pointed it. I've, I've established that Jack Armstrong was replaced by David Hayter. David Hayter, you don't want a description of him. He's like Brian Austin Green's Beverly Hills 90210 stunt double that never was. It's basically, honestly, he's got the fucking hair. He's got the fashions, the, the, the white shirt with the rolled up sleeves. I swear, I think the bottom of his jeans were rolled up. And he, it, it, like this movie is undeniably a 90s movie. Oh my God, is it ever. Uh, oh my God, is it ever a 90s movie? Like, how am I? But... Uh, <laughs> I do that a little too well, but, um, like this movie has that whole made for TV look and like, there's the clothing, the hairstyles, the music, everything is totally nineties about this movie. It, it's just, it's funny, but like, like seriously, I know. And I keep saying like a lot all of a sudden, but he does resemble Brian Austin Green. And I was like when I was watching this the first time I'm like, wow. It's like 90210 meets like, I don't know, Full Metal Alchemist. It's kind of funny. Um great opening sequence though. Damn, this movie knows how to open. Like <laughs> there is the whole scene with the cocaine dealers and the Guyver shows up and he's fucking kicking ass and that's when we also get to see like the martial arts of this film. Um because, like, the martial arts is really improved in this movie from the first one. Uh, I mean, once you get past that opening sequence, though, I'm not going to lie. There's quite a bit of exposition. 
and plot building and character building, um, and which more than likely is part of that 27 minutes that was cut from this movie, um, including, you know, Sean and Misky calling it quits. Uh, because this is the weird part about it, though, which I guess I can understand why the UK cut it. Because Mizki, her whole problem is, is she's like yelling and bitching at Sean because he can't get he he can't let go of the whole Cronus collapse from the year before, and he can't get over the Giver and everything. It's like, which seems weird because she would know that the Giver is still attached to him. It's still a part of his life, but she's telling him to get over it and move on with his life. It's like, it kind of didn't make sense. So to a degree, I can kind of understand why the UK, like why they cut that. Um, also, in the beginning, we're introduced to our supporting cast. We're introduced to Corey, which is like, you know, she's like the love interest. Uh, Kathy Christofferson, I'm not going to lie, she's really cute. Um, but her character's kind of typical. I mean, she's, like I said, she's a love interest for Sean, but she's, she's the brains of the archaeological dig, you know, that obviously they find the spacecraft and it opens up the whole story to this film and whatnot, but it just, she seems very tropey is probably the better way to describe it. Uh, her father, Marcus, who's played by Stuart Weiss is also very typical uh, meant to be smart and wise, but he'll be undoubtedly, you know, the, the undoubtedly, sorry, the, um, he'll be the good guy who's manipulated by the villains and will prove to be a liability in the end or Willie. Uh, but yeah, like you get that from him. Now, I mean, they do some cool twists with his character. I'm not going to deny that, but at the same time, it's like seen this before <sighs> crane. Arlen Crane, played by Bruno Giannata. Very obvious he's the bad guy, like, right out of the gate. That was a thing, like, with 90s movies. They always did that. You always had the bad guy that was so obvious. It was like, man, we can tell. Like, you're the bad dude. We get it. Um, except to the characters in the story. Apparently, they don't see it. Um any other character to highlight? I, I mentioned Commander Atkins, played by Christopher Michael. Uh, he's actually really cool. Uh, they give him some weird dialogue, though. Like, very commonplace dialogue. But, I mean, here's the thing. Oh, I, I mean, everyone else in the movie is pretty much throwaway. Like, you could have had any actor play these roles, and we wouldn't have cared. But the thing is, is that when you come to a movie like this, what are you coming to this movie for? You're coming. It's like a Godzilla movie, right? Why do you watch the movie? You watch it for the monsters. You want to see the the special effects. You want to see the martial arts. And there's ample amount of both in this. Um, the visuals in this one. Uh, okay, so here's the here's the fucking shit kicker of the whole thing. So it, it's a low budget flick. Very low budget. And like I said, it's got that made-for-TV look to it. But why are the visuals better in this film than in the first one? Here's the thing. The budget for this was $900,000. In comparison to the $3 million for the first film. So, and obviously, the difference... I'll tell you the difference. The difference is it's in, within the actors. That first film, you had... 
Mark Hamill, you had Michael Berryman, you had Linnea Quigley, you had like big na- Jeffrey Combs, David Gale, you had these big names. That's where that's where the budget went. Because in this one, you got a lot of I don't want to call them no name actors, but you got a lot of B and C grade actors. That doesn't mean they're bad. I'm just saying they're not your A listers. So you don't have to pay them as much. But they're putting their heart and soul into it. And that's the thing. Their dialogue comes off more natural. Sometimes it doesn't, depending on the writing. I get that. But it's more natural. They're they're trying hard. It's not just for a paycheck. Not saying that Mark Hamill's the type that works for a paycheck. We know he's not that guy. But you can just... You see the difference. You see actors that are like, shit, this may be my only chance to make a breakthrough, so I gotta do I gotta put my best foot forward. And they do. And you see the difference. Um I mean this film looks ultimately better <laughs> even at 480p quality. I watched the original in 1080 Blu-ray quality. And I was impressed at how much I love this movie more. Um, and I mean, you're not going to get better than 480p quality for this. Like I said, it's DVD or digital and neither of them is in high def. The special effects, the monsters. Okay. So here's something to point out a little bit of trivia for you, because when you see the zoonoid look, the, the zoonoid creation of Arlen Crane, our bad guy. Oh, he's very close in resemblance to somebody we've seen before. Little 1988 movie called The Monster Squad. Yeah, he looks a lot like the Gill Man in that. Well, the reason being, Steve Wang created both. Yeah, when they were filming for The Monster Squad, Steve Wang was working for Stan Winston's special effects team. And he created the monster of the Gill Man for that movie, like the design. You know, a couple years later, he does this movie. And when you're watching it, it's like, it's basically, it's basically like looking at the Gill Man with a, a bit of Predator to his look. It looks awesome. It looks really fucking good. And that was the other thing too. Like some of these, like, like the Zonoids in this movie actually look a lot better. Even though you, it's still rubber suits, but they didn't look as hokey actually came off as like looking genuine it was really good um and that's with all of them um uh marcus's uh zoonoid look marcus edwards the father he was a zoonoid um he's got <laughs> it's kind of funny because i kept calling him joe's apartment because he kept reminding me of like the ants in joe's apartment um but it looked cool it just looked really awesome. Um, even like the female Zoonoid, like it again, it looked really fucking cool. I got some screen caps that I'm going to be adding to the Facebook page and possibly Instagram as well uh, when I release this. So feel free to take a look once I put them up. But it, like, there's some cool shit in this movie. Like, they it, again, $900,000 was the budget. You're talking like 2.1 million short of what they paid for the first movie. Like I said, it had to have gone towards the the acting talent. 
uh, the martial arts in this movie. Wow. Some really great choreography here. Um, the the genius behind the fight scenes, I'm going to try to pronounce his name right, is Koichi Sakamoto. And man, did he put together some great battle, like some great fight scenes. Now, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit that's kind of hokey and fun and whatnot, but I mean, like, again, straight to, straight to video DVD, right? Straight to video release, whatever. Um, I mean, but he, he you the the martial arts is awesome. There's some fun fights in this movie. Ultimately, this movie, all right, let me put it to you this way: this movie is more impressive than its predecessor. In look, feel, acting, costumes, sets. Like, some of the sets are gorgeous in this. Overall aesthetics, fight sequences. Now, small detractor. Okay, so, here's the interesting thing about this. I won't watch the UK version, at least not right now, because I want the full story. However, two hours and seven minutes is kind of long. I probably would have knocked off about 15 minutes worth of the movie. And a lot of that would have been the shit in the beginning. Um, Cause it does take this movie a bit to pick up once it's gone. Once it starts going, it's gone. It's like, it's awesome. Um, but it's that it's the beginning. That's the real slow dragger um, shaving off 27 minutes though. That's a bit much, especially when you know that the UK version cut a lot of the, action in the violence well that was the point of this movie to begin with um steve wang wanted to be more faithful to the darker manga out of like the 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 original manga that was darker he wanted a, a closer adaptation of that which is basically what he got with this um so i don't know like t- 27 minutes that's harsh Eventually, I probably will check out the UK version just to see what it looks like. And maybe it has a better flow. I don't know. But it just, that seems like a lot. I'm thinking about 15 minutes would have been good enough right there. You know, have have it at like an hour and 40 minutes, hour and 45 minutes to an hour and 50 minutes. And you're talking a perfectly perfectly set movie because there's a lot, especially in the the second act of this film, that is kind of needed. It seems like it drags a little, but especially when they're showing like the the history of the origin of the Giver and whatnot, you need a lot of that stuff. So, IMDb has this movie at a six out of ten. Six is dominantly the most common rating at nineteen four percent of the votes. However, seven was the second highest vote rating at six sixteen point three percent of the votes. Rotten Tomatoes has Giver Dark Hero listed as 60% fresh rating based on audience score. No critic score exists for this movie. Now, that's not to say that critics didn't, like, talk about the movie. It's just there's no critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, basically, to sum up the overall feel of what critics felt about this, I got this quote taken directly from Giver.Fandom.com. Basically saying, compared to the previous film, Giver, Dark Hero was much closer to the source material, more realistic, and more violent. The flashback to the creation of the Givers, for instance, is taken almost verbatim from the manga. Unlike the first film, Giver, Dark Hero went direct to video and was rated R, unlike the PG-13 rating of the first movie. Despite not receiving a theatrical release, okay, 
guess it didn't get that in Japan either. Giver Dark Hero gained a cult following and was met with a far better positive reception than its predecessor. Nigel Honeybone from the Schlocky Horror Picture Show. Um, I actually grabbed this quote from HorrorNews.net, but that's he was the one who was quoted as saying this. Basically, this is one of those rare cases in which the sequel is actually better than the original, which admittedly wasn't much of a challenge, but credit where credit's due. Podcast Zero rating. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've already made most of my points clear in this review. So I'm just going to quickly summarize it and give you my number tally on it. Because, basically, this movie is better better acted, better fight sequences. The Zoonoids look so much better in this movie. The grainy... N90-ish aesthetic just work better for this film. The dialogue for the most part is decent, save for a couple really hammy moments. I did not highlight this, and I'm going to highlight it now. Moving from Jack Armstrong to David Hayter was definitely a boost up in the right direction. Absolutely. That's not to take away from Jack Armstrong, who was in the first film, but David Hayter just that role better yes the brian austin green stunt double from 90210 that never was <laughs> but, but yes i mean he he just encompassed the role so much better um if i have to point out, point out the down points obviously the length of runtime is a bit much at two hours and seven minutes but again i wouldn't go the route of the uk version either and cut out like you know 27 minutes or the German version, which, you know, 35 minutes of this movie was cut. That's a little much. Um, you're really taking away from the creator's vision. And I mean, one other small little detractor, the best quality you're going to find this at is a 480p resolution, at least currently. I Arrow video released the first one. On Blu-ray, I for some reason I just can see them grabbing this one if they can, and you know releasing it as the follow-up. All that said, this movie for me is a clear shot, eight out of ten. And yes, I'm in agreement with everyone else. Basically, this is a better movie than its original. That said, I did give the original a seven out of ten. I was a little bit higher than most for that one, uh, but. Even with this, this is just a notch higher than that 91 premiere attempt. I'm I'm not going to lie. 8 out of 10 for me. And maybe I'm being a little too generous, but there was a lot of enjoyment. I'll, I'll say this. So I watched it twice for the podcast. I watched it first time a couple weeks ago. And then earlier today, I watched it again because I wanted it kind of fresh in my mind and whatnot. I will say watching it the second time, it was a lot more enjoyable. I think also because I was prepared for the runtime this time. So I knew, you know, I knew where the down points were, like where the downtime is that I, you know, I was like, okay, well, I can just kind of focus on aesthetics and I can focus on, you know, how the characters are acting and stuff like that. It kind of gave me a clearer note on things to, to work with for this, uh, this week's episode. So yeah, 8 out of 10 for me. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I love this movie. I do hope there is a Blu-ray version 
that gets released at some point. Um, even if it's UK first, as long as it's unedited. I, I believe the UK actually has an unedited version now. Because I remember seeing, as a matter of fact, I think it's on Amazon. There's a, a Region 2 release that says Special Extended Edition. And I believe that was just they reincorporated everything they took out of it. I'm not 100% sure on that, so I could be completely wrong. Anyways, 8 out of 10. And on that note, I would like to thank each and every one of you for returning this week. Thank you for listening. Um, This was different, doing a back-to-back episode like this. Um, You know, 84 being the first film and episode 85 being its follow-up. I don't think I've ever done that on this show yet. But the thing was, was... I did want to talk about that first movie, but I knew the second movie, and like I said, I wasn't even sure I had seen the second movie. I'm pretty sure I hadn't. Like I said, there was only a few scenes where I was like, that looks awfully familiar, but I mean, I couldn't remember this movie for the life of me. I had heard enough, though, to know that this was going to be a lot better, so I was glad I did it. I was glad, you know, I didn't get a follow-up episode because I, I feel feel it was justified that said i probably won't do this again at least not for a bit um because i like to vary things up i find this i'll be i'll be completely honest with you guys so you know put it all out on front street the only reason why this episode is a a few like a week or two later than it should have been was just because after i made the commitment to it i was somewhat uninspired I didn't, it was like, I kind of wished I hadn't made that call to do a follow-up because it would have been nice to do this later on in the, you know, like, like, you know, 20 episodes from now kind of thing. So doing the back-to-back thing, as cool as it was, I don't think I'm going to do that again, at least not for a while. Um, Unless, like, I have, like, a month, like, where I do like, oh, let's say I'm going to do like the Matrix trilogy or something like that. But I, that I can't see happening um, just because it, it it gets uninspiring real fast because it's like, OK, I just talked about the first Guyver film and now I'm following it up with the second, which doesn't seem like it's much of a pull. Um, so, yeah, that happens. Live and learn, right? So it's it's a learning experience for me. Um but yeah, on that note, thank you for listening. Uh, where to find the podcast? Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually you find it on Amazon as well. Uh, apparently Amazon is going into podcasts. So eventually this show could find its way to Amazon Podcasts as well. Um, you can also find the show at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. Or it's home, the home of the Next Level Network. Nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. It's always there. That's always where it'll be first. As a matter of fact, it gets posted there before it even makes its way to Spotify. And Spotify and Apple are pretty quick. I've noticed, like, I can post those, and they're up within the half hour. Uh, Apple especially. Shit, their podcast posts fast. Um... Spotify usually within half an hour to an hour after I posted it's there but the next level network the second I posted it's there and there's 
no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, social media wise, if you want to find the show, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. You can also find the show on Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and Twitter at WLB podcast zero. I may actually be using my Twitter this week because Joe Bob is doing his uh, Joe Bob put a spell on you um, live event on Shudder. We know The Love Witch is one of the two movies. Don't know what the second movie is. And the only reason why we know The Love Witch is definitely one of the films is because the director of The Love Witch is going to be a special guest. So yeah, so that's obvious. I don't know what that second movie is going to be. I know a lot of people are really hoping for My Bloody Valentine, but that just seems too obvious for Joe Bob. So I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows? As for a recommendation from this show, uh, Lurker's Recommendation, I'm going to put this out there. Psycho Goreman. I think people need to watch it. I'm going to warn... Um, it might not be what you think it is. Uh, when I watched it, my initial reaction to the movie when I first saw it, I've watched it twice now. And the first time I watched it, I was not impressed. The second time I went in with a different mentality, and I think I enjoyed it a lot more. But the thing is, is to appreciate what the actors are doing. Well, I'm not going to say a lot. All I'm going to say is, is that the little girl that's in this movie, you will either love everything she's doing or you will want her dead. And I'm not talking about the actress. I'm just saying the character, you'll want her dead. <laughs> um, the first time I watched it, I was like, what the fuck? I'm supposed, am I not supposed to like these characters? Because I hated everybody in the movie. Um, but then the second time I watched it, I just gave it a different approach. I was like, okay, I know what I'm getting this time. So now let's try and appreciate what each actor is doing. And I found that watching it that second time really helped. So I'm going to put that out there. Lurker's recommendation is Psycho Gorman. Give it a shot. See what you think. But don't be afraid to give it a second shot. Because when you watch it the first time, you might be like, what the fuck? And then the second time around, you're like, okay, I get it. It was sort of the way I was with The Greasy Strangler. That was another movie. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) It's like, what the hell is this? Um, And then the second time I watched it, I was like, all right, I get what they're doing here. So, and that's the thing with Spectre Vision movies, right? I I don't think Psycho Gorman is Spectre Vision, though. It is a Shudder exclusive, though, so... But, um, yeah, give it a whirl. See what you think. We're going to close out with a track. Um, actually, so this is kind of cool. Way back in the 90s. Um, I know it's funny that I say that, but someone pointed out the other day that 1991 was 30 years ago. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it doesn't feel that long ago, but apparently it was. But anyways, um, Back in the 90s when I used to actually socialize with people and not hate people as much. (laughs) Um, I used to, I don't know, I'd go to like clubs in Windsor like, you know, The Loop and Coaching Horses and whatnot. Anyways, uh, there was a couple Windsor bands that I actually 
didn't mind checking out. There were some of them that were pretty good, actually. Um, Windsor, that's one thing about Windsor, because I don't know if it's because we're so close to Detroit or not, but Windsor's always had a pretty decent music scene. Anyways, I recently found out that on Bandcamp, a couple of the old Windsor bands that I remembered seeing back in the 90s, their CD releases are available through Bandcamp. One of the bands was a band by the name of Soil, spelled S-O-Y-L, not S-O-I-L. Um, anyways, I used to have their CD, like, years ago. I don't know what happened to it. It got lost or something. Probably stolen or sold it or whatever. I, I don't fucking know. I, anyways, found out that the release was on Bandcamp, so I grabbed it and revisited it and was kind of glad I did because it reminded me how much I loved that CD. So we're going to close out with a track from that album. The movie, the movie, the album is called That. <laughs> um, so that's why it was kind of funny I say That Album. Uh, the song's called Pink Lemonade. It's the final track on the album, and it's one that I always liked. I used to play it quite, play it like a lot back in the day. The band is no longer together. It's a now defunct band, but um, at least to my knowledge, they are. I haven't seen them anywhere around the city for quite a while. So <laughs> then again, how could I, right? COVID, nobody's allowed to do anything. But anyways, um, enough of that. So yeah, we're going to close out with a song from Soil called Pink Lemonade. And I have an idea what I'm doing for the next episode. I want to save it as a surprise. So um, all I can say is episode 86. You will not be waiting three weeks for it. It will be coming very soon. But I'm going to withhold what I'm doing for it for now. Keep an eye on the social media and you might get your hints. (laughs) Anyways... Thank you everyone for tuning in and close out with the song from Soil now. And that's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up.